today on This Christian Life. For about three days, I wasn't, I mean, I was trying to retain, I was in a fog. And one of many encounters with the Lord, he sat down and he said, son, what are you doing? We don't know what tomorrow holds, but you've lost three days. You need to be a husband and you need to be a father. You've left your wife and you've left your kids and you've been in this place for three days and I need you to get back on your feet. You've just heard from husband and father, Mr. Louis Wallace. Louis and his wife, Nicole, are sharing their very difficult journey with you today. In doing so, they ask only that you simply listen and rejoice in what God has done through their daughter, Evelyn. The Bible says to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. When we met Louis and Nicole, they were doing both. I haven't written in a while, and honestly, I've been in a rut. I've been sad and angry, and I'm probably just stuffing all of my emotions I'm feeling. I just want to get off this roller coaster ride. But the days and nights continue to come and go, and we constantly adjust. Life moves on, and new stresses of life happen, and yet you're stuck in the same loss with the same hole in your heart day in and day out. The pain continues to linger in the background with a subtle reminder of what you've lost. Most days I walk through life with joy and it's truly supernatural. But then there are days you just can't shake the ominous feeling of loss and sadness. Truly nothing can fill that loss except the overwhelming supernatural love of Jesus. That was just part of the email we received from Nicole here at Family Radio. Now here's the rest of their story. Louie and I had three daughters, Briella, Evelyn, and Emberly. And when Evelyn was four years old, she started exhibiting some pain in her mouth right around Thanksgiving. And she was having a lot of problems with her mouth and her gums. They were swollen. We couldn't figure out what was going on. She was slowly declining and not really being herself. I just remember the night she would wake up, just the swelling. What was happening was the cells were, were coming out and, and pushing her teeth out. She would have fevers all night long, and, and we couldn't shake them, and we'd put her in the bathroom. I'd put her in cold water, and it'd go down, and then about an hour later, it'd come back, and I'd put her back in there, and it would subside, and then she'd go to sleep, and she'd wake up more. That happened probably about two days before we thought something's wrong. We brought her to the hospital, and when we got down there, they confirmed that she did have strep throat. But the doctor, just out of inclination, said, you know, she's looking a little pale. I need you guys to go straight over to the ER and uh, get blood drawn. And I was like, okay, no worries, I'll just drive her right over there. And he looked at me and he says, no, you're, you're not driving anywhere. And I'm just like, well, it's only five minutes down the road. I could just take it real quick. And he says, no, you, you can't. And he says, I don't want to go into things. I just need you to sit. And Evelyn starts bawling and says, uh, Dad, I don't want to go in the ambulance because her whole life ambulance was somebody was dying, right? And I said, Evelyn, it'll be okay. I promise I won't leave you. So they did the blood test, and a few minutes later, he came in and says, we believe that she has leukemia our world just stopped. Life as they knew it did stop. And in its place, something entirely different. We had to instantly go into making plans for other daughters, getting them picked up from school, managing the situation, and getting her down to UC Davis, which is an hour and a half away. They wanted to get to know us as a family before we got there. And so they tried like crazy to get a helicopter, and they couldn't get one. So they sent a uh, kid ambulance, and me and Evelyn ended up riding all the way to UC Davis in, in the ambulance. 
Then we ended up meeting the main oncologist, and he, he brought us into a room and sat down and explained the nuts and bolts of cancer and, and the types of cancer and the treatments and the options. And, you know, at this point, we didn't know which kind she had. And he had said that, you know, he feels fairly confident that they can treat her right then and there and that he can heal her. For me personally, I just remember being in a dark place the whole time. Once I heard cancer, my mom had just died from cancer, and uh, I just tried to go over there as much as I could, and I just watched my mom wither away and into nothing and eventually die. For about three days, I wasn't, I mean, I was trying to retain. I was in a fog, and one of many encounters with the Lord, he sat down and he said, Son, what are you doing? We don't know what tomorrow holds, but you've lost three days. You need to be a husband, and you need to be a father. And you need to be who I've called you to be, and you've left your wife, and you've left your kids, and you've been in this place for three days, and I need you to get back on your feet. So I just remember coming out of that fog, and from that day on, I just kind of put on my big boy pants, and I knew that I had a role, and I had a position, and I had a, a duty for my family to serve and to love them. To do, I still was her father, and, and nobody was going to take that from me, but at the same time, I had to let my father do what my father does and protect me and keep me safe and, and just know my role as a son to, to him. I had a role, and I had a position, and I had a duty to do to my family to serve and to love them. It was almost an everyday surrender. Even all the way up until the last day, I had to surrender again. 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14 Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Louis stood by his family, and together they depended on God for strength. We were hoping that it was the childhood leukemia, but unfortunately it's the harder to treat leukemia, and we have to go after this extremely aggressively. This was a Tuesday when we were sitting down with the doctor, and by Thursday she had to go into surgery to get her port into her chest. And Friday, she was given her first dose of chemo. And the chemo regimen for this type of leukemia is extremely intense. You can't leave the hospital. You can't really ever go home. What God had showed me in the Kiwanis room was that the world needed to know that he was still good and that this wasn't going to crumble our faith and this wasn't going to diminish our faith. So we together wrote on Facebook, do not lose your hope in Jesus. This is not his doing. And we felt really strongly that people didn't curse God because of this. And we went into it with that attitude, and we sat outside of that room, and we offered our daughter up to Jesus. We had decisions to make. We were there for uh, six months, I think, that was the minimum, uh, maybe a year. So Nicole, she says, what do we want to do with the kids? You know, we got our other two daughters, you know, they're in school and all these things. And I just kept feeling in my heart that I didn't want to abandon them. I just said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. And uh, she did not like it. <laughs> I didn't. I was, I was so overwhelmed and... Just all that was coming at me at that moment, the moment of weakness for me was, I can't do this. But as he explained himself, it was like clarity came, like, of course, we can't lose our other two children over this. It was something that really began to heal our family. And we went for it. It's all right. This is where we're at, and this is what we're going to do, and we have a job to do, and nothing changes. Cancer doesn't change anything. We have to parent, we have to love, and we have to protect, and we have to be there as a family, and whatever life comes at us, we're going to do it together. So we opted our kids to come down. We got a room at Ronald McDonald House. We checked them into home study school because it wasn't efficient for us to try to get them into public school. Plus, with all the viruses and all the other things that were going in schools, we needed to kind of isolate our family in a protected area. So we did it. We moved down there. We uprooted our lives. We left everything behind. 
And um, we both laid everything aside and said, here we are, this is our life. Our community here in Orville and in Butte County just came together. They rallied for us. They put on all these fundraisers, all of these special events. Just a common everyday eight to five servers at restaurants, you know, were giving money and, and, and dumping into this campaign for our family. And we just felt this overwhelming sense of support. Right out of the first treatment, she ended up being cancer-free. So they keep testing every time they do rounds of chemo to see where the cancer is. And we were like, okay, we're home free. This is awesome. And then she gets very sick, and we can't figure out why every night we are up all night with her. Ice packs, Tylenol's not lasting to six hours. As you can imagine, Nicole felt a wide range of emotions. But instead of focusing on the emotions, she turned to the Lord. I was getting really mad. At this point, short of shaking my fist at God, I was like, God, where are you? Why is she not getting better? Why is she keep having fevers? What is going on? We can't figure it out. You know, only you know, and you're being silent. And we'd have these really raw conversations with the Lord. And I would say this was one time when the Lord was like kind of chastised me, to be honest. I said, Lord, we have all these tens of thousands of people around the world praying for her. And it's not doing a lick of good. You're not helping us. (laughs) And I was having a bit of a temper tantrum, to be honest. And he stopped me in my tracks and he said, Nicole, how do you know what their prayers are doing? How do you know that their prayers aren't keeping her alive? How do you know what the plan is for her life? How do you know what the enemy wants for her, your family, all this stuff? You know, you don't know the whole picture. Why don't you thank me for the things that are happening rather than getting mad at me for the things that you think should be happening? We were in the belief system that God's doing miracles. He's going to do a miracle, and we're part of the plan of the miracle. And so we just kept believing for that. And not that that was bad, but I think our focus was more on the miracle rather than the journey. And I think sometimes we can get really lost on wanting the miracle to take place, and we don't really realize that the miracle is actually happening through the journey. In the book of Job, a good man loses everything he has. Even in all his loss, the Bible says Job did not curse God. He did not sin. As a father, I wanted to protect, and I wanted to figure it all out, and I wanted to have all the answers, and I listened to every doctor and every medicine, and I was a real studier, and I invested my life into this because the only thing I could do was be her advocate to learn and to study. And, you know, I'm a hands-on, I'm a builder, I'm a doer, and I can fix it. No matter how hard I tried, I, I just couldn't fix this. It was this constant thing that I had with Jesus where I had to resurrender because I'd feel myself wanting to try to fix and try to control and try to manipulate and spin and, and use my talents and my gifts and my strength to heal my daughter. And if I could just figure out more, if I could just study harder, if I could just, I could fix this, you know, and I tried so hard so many times. And Nicole and, and I, we would just constantly remind each other, you know, I think we're, we're owning this again and we need to surrender her back over just saying, Lord, she's yours, you know, and that was really, really hard, difficult. It became easier over the three years, but it was really like pulling teeth. It was almost an everyday surrender. It was just a nonstop, even all the way up until the last day, you know, the last day I had to surrender again. Four rounds of chemo, which was extremely intense, and after four rounds of chemo, they come to us and they tell us, you know, we're really sorry to tell you this. We've kind of been dragging our feet. We don't really want to tell you this. However, new studies have come out from 10 years ago that those that do a fifth round of chemo on this kind of leukemia tend to have better results. And we're like, what? You know, we're already done with the fourth round. We've moved home. We've, you know, made all these plans. We even got a puppy. And we're like, oh, we we had a decision to make. It was gut-wrenching. Like, what are we going to do? And so we just prayed and said, we have no choice. We have to move forward. So we had scheduled the fifth round of chemo. 
There was a significant rise in the numbers between the fourth and fifth round and, and went this far and she's done well, so let's go ahead and do this. It was one of the most gut-wrenching things that we've ever experienced. So it caused her to have an infection. We have chemotherapy. It makes your numbers, your inability to fight off anything. So she ended up getting an infection, and they rushed her up to ICU. And that took her into a coma for three weeks and in ICU for three months, and we thought we were going to lose her. They put her on a breathing machine, um, and then finally they said, you know, she's starting to do a little bit better. Let's wake her up. And when they woke her up, I'm thinking uh, something's wrong, and they kept telling me that she has delusion because she's been intubated. She don't know if it's day or night, and this is pretty common for intubated patients. So I'm like, okay, and a day goes by, and she still has that stare, and she's not responding, and she's looking right through me. She's not looking at me. I said, Nicole, something's seriously wrong. They're they're missing something. And they just kept telling us the same thing. So we had someone, uh, a nanny that we had brought in with us stay in the night, and she called us at 3 in the morning and says, hey, can you get over here? And I said, yeah, what's going on? She says, this doctor's in here, and he's saying he's going to just start drilling holes in her skull, and he's not telling me anything, and I'm wigging out. I don't know what's going on. Get over here right away. And these uh, neurologists, they have one job, and that's to fix the problem. And he's just pretty much just not really giving us details. He says, listen, we don't have a choice. We're drilling a hole in her skull, and we're going to drill into her brain, and we're going to relieve this pressure because if not, she won't make it through the night. And it's like there's nothing that we can do. The only thing that we know to do in this moment is say, Lord, you're in control. We look at each other, and she says she, again, for the hundredth time probably at this point, is, Lord, we surrender her over to you. She came back the next day. She started immediately getting results. She started being responsive. I said, can you tell me you love me, Evelyn? She'd stick up the I love you sign and the peace sign. And one plus one, she put up two. And So they said, you know, she's recovering well. They said that with the brain, they can't tell if she's ever going to be normal again. You know, just as time goes, she may not be able to talk. She may not be able to walk. There's no telling the damage that it had done. funny story is we called her Dory-itis <laughs> from Finding Nemo. Mom, where's Daddy? He's right next to you. She'd look over. Oh, hi, Daddy. Where's Daddy? <laughs> so they kept coming in doing CT scans, and they said, you know, we don't feel like one of her uh, ventricles is draining, so we might have to put in a shunt. I lost it. This was like the needle that broke the camel's back. This is a very significant moment. I was in my bedroom, and I was mad about it. I was freaking out. I was having a moment of just dark night of the soul with the Lord. I said, Lord, you, you told me that you wouldn't give me more than I can handle, and this is more than I can handle, and I don't know what to do. And I remember dedicating my life back to the Lord and my heart and saying, Lord, who am I to say that you don't use modern medicine to help and heal? And so it was really a turning point for me. For six months, we were home, and then sure enough, bam, it came back drove down there. UC Davis said that there's nothing else that they can do there, but they said that Evelyn was a candidate for a trial. So we went down there. She responded really well to the first ones. Then we were going into treatment, come to find out the day before she went into her uh, stem cell treatments, she had a fungus affection on her knee. Because she had a fungal affection, she couldn't get her immune system brought all the way down. She couldn't do the trial, so we had to go in a waiting period for them to get rid of the fungal infection. We missed the first stem cell treatment because of the fungal infection, and during that time of treatment, the cancer came back at 98%, and it was a real dark night of the soul again. 
I was sitting in that room, and when the doctor said that, he told me 98% chance, and he walked out. And Avalyn was, you know, 50 feet down the hallway in the room, and he walked out, and I'm sitting in that room, and I'm bawling, and it's just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? i got to pull it together and go stand in front of my daughter. You know, she's going to look at me, and she, that little girl would look deep into my eyes. She knew when I said something, I meant it. And in this moment, I had no hope. And I, I just remember... Right then and there, the Lord just showed up again, and he said, Son, who are you going to listen to? So I don't know where there was again, man. I just welled up with the Holy Spirit, and he just came alive in me, and my chest went out, and I shed my tears, and I went marching down that hallway, and I looked right in that little girl's eyes, and I said, Don't you give up. You're going to be okay. We're going to do this. And she looked right at me, and she goes, I won't give up, Dad. She goes, I remember the three rules. Take my medicine, eat my food, and don't give up. Sure enough, the Lord came through. She ended up walking out of that hospital. We got out of the hospital. We had a glorious summer together. Um, September 16, 2019, it was confirmed that the leukemia had come back. And 20 days later, she was gone. I remember sitting there the day before she had died, and I was laying in that bed with her. And, uh, you know, she wasn't doing well. And just as a dad, this man laying next to my daughter, like I'm bulldog on the bed ready for someone to come in and bite him. You know, don't touch her. You know, it's my girl, you know. You say, yeah, son, let her go. I have her. And I thought, who am I? I remember stepping off the bed and taking a step back and saying, she's yours, Lord, take her home. What God had done through me as a father and as a man, he reminded me that it was never about eternity here on earth. He reminded me that that little girl impacted the world more than most men, most women could ever in 75, 80 years. She did more in seven years than a man or a woman could have in a whole life and that he had her and that she was okay. And just looking back on it, he walked with me through all that. He taught me lessons within the lesson. It was never just about Evelyn. It was about the bigger picture of who he was in my life. And no one's ever ready for their daughter to die, but I was never ready. And God slowly prepared me. God slowly encouraged me and strengthened me. And he had a plan. He had a plan for me all along. I do know that God was faithful and he was just and he loved me and he never left me or forsake me. And he taught me and he groomed me and chased me through that whole process and he knew me. Like, I wouldn't wish this journey upon anyone, but I'm so grateful that God was with me in this and that he was able to change and make such a horrible situation into something so great for me. The God of the universe is with my daughter. just brings me such a peace. And I don't have to worry about her anymore. I have to worry about today and now and my other two girls and my wife. Today I can stand here as a man and tell you that the world's hit me with just about everything it could. And in the end, he is faithful. In her last months, Louie and Nicole took Evelyn to various parks and playgrounds. But because of her physical and mental challenges, she was not able to enjoy those facilities as much as the other kids. As Christians, we believe the Lord will give Evelyn a new body. And that's something to be excited and rejoice for. But along with it, he also gave her parents a brand new vision. And so, in the year 2022, children with physical, mental, and mobility challenges will be able to enjoy Avi's Place, an Americans with Disabilities Act certified playground with all the spinning, sliding, rocking, and sensory engagement for children of all abilities and ages. What more could any kid want? Well, Avalyn knows. She knows right now. Eternal life with her Heavenly Father is the very best gift she's ever gotten. 
And it's a wonderful gift offered freely from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even for Louis, her earthly father, a father who never gave up and yet sacrificed so much, the best life will always and forever be this Christian life. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.